I've been chomping at the bits all night, hoping Brother Aaron would hurry up and get done, get through this prayer request. I'm ready to preach, guys. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start reading in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins skirt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then verse 17 is our text today. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. And we're just going to stop right there. The helmet of salvation is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Let's go ahead and bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for every blessing that you've given. We're thankful for all that we have in Christ Jesus. God, not one of us are worthy of it. We don't deserve your grace, and we don't deserve your love. God, we're thankful that you love us anyway. That you sent your Son to die on the cross for us. And God, that if we have trusted Christ as Savior, that we have all spiritual blessings available to us. Lord, you know the battle that we're engaged in every day. You know it far better than we do. Lord, help us to depend on you for strength, for wisdom, leadership, and everything that we say and do. We're so thankful for this helmet of salvation that Paul talks about. I ask for leadership as we study this. Give me the right words and the right thoughts. Lord, help me to preach the truth tonight. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at spiritual warfare, and uh, for those who may not have uh, have been with us throughout the, the rest of the study, um, we're talking about the fact that we are engaged in an everyday battle. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's uh, it's not with what we see or what we can hear or uh, what we can you know experience with the five senses, but. We wrestle against principalities and, and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Um, to say it a different way, we're wrestling with a, a spiritual army. We're engaged in a spiritual battle. And if we're going to be able to stand against Satan and his influences in the spiritual battle, then we have to, as we looked at and we found in our text, we have to stand, first of all, in God's strength and power And then we also have to stand in His armor. And so we've been talking about the armor of God, what it is, and how to wear it, how we put it on. And and so we've we've gone through all these different uh, pieces of God's armor, and today we come to the helmet of salvation. Now, so far we've talked about four of the six pieces of God's armor, and we know that three are to be put on and kept on. We see that in verse 14. It says, there, uh, standing therefore, having your, uh, your loins girt about with truth. And that word having there has a sense of putting it on and keeping it on. And so we know that three are to be put on. 
The other three are to be at hand at all times for us to pick up. And so if you'll notice in verse 16, it says above all, and it changes the word from having to what? It says to taking. All right. So above all, taking the shield of faith, uh, the word take there means to pick up. And uh, so it says to pick up the shield of faith so that you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then notice this in verse 17. He says, and take again, take the helmet of salvation. Now, to be honest, this particular piece of armor, when we talk about the helmet of salvation, this particular piece of armor has always troubled me a little bit. I always kind of get to this part and I say, all right, uh, now I don't know exactly what that means, but I just trust that Paul knew what he was talking about, and I just kind of move on from there. Um, what is the helmet of salvation? Is it just talking about being saved or the fact that we're saved? Uh, does it just mean salvation itself? Or, uh, or, you know, what exactly does it mean? Do we not always have salvation? So then if we always have salvation, then why do we need to put on the helmet of salvation? So this has always kind of been a little bit uh, you know, confusing to me. But the more I've studied this, the more sense it begins to make. And my prayer is that I'll be able to convey this truth in a way that it can be understood and applied uh, tonight. And so I want to suggest we're just going to have two points. That's not even a Baptist sermon. All right. Two points. I want to define the helmet of salvation and then I want to tell you how to put it on. The best, as best as I can. So let's start by defining the helmet of salvation. Now the first thing that we have to discuss when we're talking about the helmet of salvation is how the helmet was used by a Roman soldier. Uh, first of all, let me say this. The Roman soldier put his helmet on the, the, for the first reason to identify him with his kingdom. When a Roman soldier put his helmet on, There was no question of what kingdom that soldier belonged to. It identified him as a Roman soldier, the way that it was designed. uh, You know, it it not only defined what kingdom he was in, but even what his rank was, from what I understand. And so the helmet for a Roman soldier was a way of identifying him. And let me say this, that when we put on the helmet of salvation and we're conducting ourselves in such a way... It's going to identify us as being of God's kingdom, people of God's kingdom. And so I think that there is some identification uh, sense here when it talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. But then the most important reason why a Roman soldier would put a helmet on is to do what? Protect his head, right? It was to protect his head or protect his brain, of course. In battle, there were swords and spears and arrows swinging and flying all over the place. And one of the quickest ways to disarm and destroy someone is a headshot. And so if they were going to protect their head and guard their their minds, then they had to put on the helmet. And so the helmet helped to protect the soldier's head. Now, as we've already mentioned in discussing some of the other pieces of armor, your mind is under attack. Matter of fact, before the sermon is over, I would dare say that your mind is going to be under attack. You're going to get tired of hearing my monotone voice, and you're going to get tired of the sermon. You start thinking about supper, and, and some of you are going to remember Cracker Barrel from earlier when we mentioned that, and your mind's going to be going to what am I going to order when I go there, or, or what am I going to do tonight when I get home, or what do I have to finish this week, or whatever. Your minds are going to be under attack. What is Satan trying to do? 
He's wanting to plant thoughts in your mind so that you'll dwell on them and get your mind focused away from the spiritual truths that we're dealing with tonight. So your minds are going to be under attack probably before uh, we even leave the service tonight. And so what you need to do is do what? You need to guard your mind. You need to put on a a helmet over your mind to filter out those thoughts, to get your mind and your, your, uh, your thoughts focused on the Lord. Now listen, if Satan is allowed to attack your mind, then he can destroy you. Please understand this. If you allow him to attack your mind, he can and he will destroy you. Or or rather, he can influence you to destroy yourself. Now let me restate something from a past message. As a child of God, highlight this in your mind. Satan cannot do anything to you unless you allow him to do that to you. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that Satan can't bring trouble in your life. I'm not saying that at all. But Satan can't make you sin. Satan cannot gain control over your life unless you hand that control over to him. And so Satan will try to attack your mind. And if you let him, then he will take your thoughts, he will take your emotions, he will take your desires... And he will use it against you. He will direct it in such a way and in such a in, in such a, um, a direction, I guess you could say, that it will lead you to destruction. Satan wants to do that. If you let him, he will. Now, as, as many of you already know, there are three parts to your psyche that Satan wants to control. He wants to control your mind, your thoughts. He wants to control your will, what you desire. And he also wants to control your emotions. Because if he can get into any one of those, even just one, he can control the other two. He wants to control your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the scenario could go like this. Satan plants a thought in your mind and gets you to dwell on it. Alright? Just starts as a seed. Just puts that thought in there. He gets that thought in your mind... And then you start thinking about it. You start dwelling on it. The more you dwell on it, the more it replays over and over and over again in your mind. Anybody ever have this problem? The more it does that, it starts tapping into your emotions. Now, just depending on what the thought is, now your emotions are all mixed into this thing. And if it was a thought of, uh, of someone's done something to you, then it will tap into your anger. If it's a, a thought of uh, this might happen to me, then it might, it might get fear into the mix. Or if it's a thought of uh, worthlessness, then, uh, then, you know, of course, depression or anxiety or whatever it may be, um, it may tap into that emotion. But whatever it is, he wants you to start dwelling on it. He wants you to replay it over and over and over again in your mind until it taps into one of your emotions. And then, if he can get control of your emotions, then it's going to lead right to your will. And let me tell you this. If a certain thought remains in your mind and your emotions and it makes it to your will for long enough... It will eventually project itself through your actions, through your body. Now, there's a whole different, there's a whole list of ways that can happen. 
Somebody says something to you. Anybody, anybody ever had this happen? You walk in, somebody says something to you, and they didn't mean a thing by it. But they say that to you, and then Satan puts that little thought in there. Boop. And, and all of a sudden, in your mind, you're thinking, man, they just cut me down. I can't believe they did that. You know? Now, you have two options at that point. You can either say, they probably didn't mean it like that. Or even if they did, I forgive them and move on. Or you can go plop down in your seat and say, I cannot believe they said that to me. And just play that over and over again. In your, anybody ever done that? What? And you pick it across. They said that. Why did they say it that way? Why did they use those words over and over and over again? And you know what? It, it really... Most time doesn't take very long, but it starts getting into your emotions. And what emotion does that usually stir up? Anger. So now you're replaying it, but you're replaying it with angry eyebrows. Over and over and over again. I cannot, but you wait till I see them again. You, oh, they do not know who they're talking about. They are not, they're talking to me. How could they dare say something like that? And before you know it, it starts making its way into your will or your desires. Now you're desiring to stick one to them, you know, slip one in at them, cut them down, talk about them behind their back, do something, walk right up to them and just say something mean like, that looks terrible on you today, you know, or something like that, you know. Gets to your will, and what, but what it will eventually do is it will come out as an action. Now what has Satan just done to you? He has placed a thought in your mind, and this is what you did after that. You handed him full access to the strings of your thoughts and your mind and your life, and you just became his puppet. And now what he's done is he has sown discord in the church or discord between brothers or discord at work or whatever it might be. He has just done this using you over something that probably wasn't ever intended the way that you took it. That's what it means for Satan to attack your mind. And it might be with something like at work, there might be this fear, I might lose my job, or this might happen. And so you, you spin that off into something else. Fear takes control. Then, and then you're, you're doing this and doing that. Whatever it may be, I, I don't know. But he can use anything. He can plant any thought in your mind. And if you allow him to, he will gain full access to your thoughts, to your will, and to your emotions. And he will play you like a puppet. That's why we must guard our minds. I think that is at least part of the idea behind taking up the helmet of salvation is that by putting on the helmet, we're able to at least guard or protect our minds from Satan's attacks. And we'll discuss on how to put that helmet on just a little bit later. But do you see where it might be useful to have some kind of helmet that we could put on to guard our minds from that kind of thing happening? That would be helpful, right? Some of you don't know if it would be helpful, but that's all right. Hopefully by the end of this message, you'll know that it's helpful. Now, the next thing we must define before putting all this together is what Paul means by salvation. Now, let's look at that phrase again. And I think this is where I always got confused. He says, take the helmet of salvation. 
Now, if, he, if that had been worded in a different way, if he said, take on the, the, the helmet of a healthy thought life, or take on the helmet of whatever, maybe that would have been a little bit more definitive. But he says the helmet of salvation. And so, you know, that, that always just kind of got me, to, where, what does he talk about? What is he talking about there? And really, let me say this. It's not Paul's words that need to be broadened here. It's our understanding of salvation that needs to be broadened. Paul said it exactly how it needed to be said. The problem is that many of us view salvation in a one-dimensional way. And we have to kind of broaden understanding of what salvation is. Now, when we hear or say the word salvation, most of us cannot get our minds past the event of salvation. We relate it to the new birth experience or when we were saved. And listen, salvation, it is absolutely talking about that. Salvation is when you got saved. It is when you trusted Christ as Savior, when your heart was made alive, uh, you know, spiritually. And, and, you know, of course, you became a child of God. That is salvation, but that's not all there is to salvation. And that's what we have to understand if, if we are to understand this phrase, the helmet of salvation. So let me say it this way. Your salvation is experienced in three stages. Okay? Now, first of all, if you want to write this down, you can, because I'm going to be using some, uh, some words here. Your salvation is experienced in three stages. First of all, it's experienced through justification. Now, all that that means, justification, is talking about when your sins were forgiven and blotted out through faith in the gospel. I've heard uh, someone, and you've, you've heard this too, I'm sure, but justification is defined as, uh, you know, it's said like this, just as though I never sinned. And that's what happens. When you repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you believe the gospel, that He died, that He was buried, that He rose again, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved. And that is the justification part. That's when you were made clean, uh, you're, you know, all your sins are forgiven. You are made a child of God. You enter into the family of God. All those other things take place. That is justification. But here's what I want you to understand tonight. That's not the end of your salvation. That's just the beginning. Stopping there is kind of like saying that life is being born. But life is much more than being born, right? I mean, you have to learn how to walk and eat and I never had to learn how to eat. I knew how to do that. But you gotta learn how to walk, you gotta learn to labor, you gotta learn how to read, you gotta learn how to make decisions, you gotta learn how to do this and that. Life is not just birth. Life is fulfilled and experienced in all different kinds of ways. And so there's birth and then there's maturing, there's growth, and then there's a final stage of life as well that we must come to. And our salvation is the same way. Our spiritual life is the same way. Except When we get to that third stage, we don't cease to exist. We go on to something better. We graduate uh, to something more. And that's what we're going to see as we go down through here. So the first part, our birth, is when we are justified. But then the second part of this, or second stage of your salvation, is what's known as sanctification. Now the word sanctification sounds like a big word, but all that it means is to be set apart or to be made holy. Alright? So, this is what happened when you were Saved. When you were justified, God saved your spirit. Okay? Your spirit was sealed. Your spirit was saved. It was cleansed. 
But as we were talking about this morning, we still have to live in this body of sin, right? And our mind and and our bodies and, and our flesh is still going to want to do things that it shouldn't. And so what sanctification is, the second stage of our salvation, is where God... Our our spirits are saved, but now he begins to take our body, our mind, our will, our mouth, all those things. He begins to conform it to the image of his son. And so he begins to make us holy. And so that our thoughts, you know, our minds get on things. Instead of thinking sinful things, they begin thinking uh, righteous things. Instead of our bodies doing sinful things, we begin doing godly things. And, you know, that is the idea behind sanctification. It's the process By which God begins to conform your mind and body to Christ. And then the third stage of our salvation is, of course, glorification. And this is when your spiritual graduation takes place. When you receive a new body and you are glorified with Christ. And so, let me say it in a different way. Salvation is, first of all, when the penalty of your sin is removed. That's at new birth. Second of all, it's when the power of sin over your life is removed. That's sanctification. And then the third is when the presence of sin is removed. We kind of leave behind this body of death and sin, and we take on an incorruptible body, a sinless body, and we are glorified and made into the perfect image of Christ. And that's glorification. So when we talk about salvation... Again, we're not just talking about the birth. And, and when, when Paul says here in Ephesians 6, 17, when he says here to take on the helmet of salvation, uh, then I believe he's probably referring in some sense to all three of these, to the whole spectrum of what salvation is. He's talking about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. But perhaps the second part here, the part where we're being made holy, the part where we're, we're be, being conformed more and more to the image of Christ, may be the more specific idea behind the helmet of salvation. So it's not just the fact that we're saved, but it's what God is doing in our lives after salvation. It's the spiritual growth uh, that we're dealing with uh, in this verse when he says to take on the helmet of salvation. Now let's put all that together. We looked at all the information. Let's, let's try to put it together. I'm not much of a football fan. Anybody that knows me well knows that about me. But it's my understanding, and if we have any football guys here that, uh, you know, if I get this wrong, wait till after I get done and tell me. But it's my understanding that the quarterback in his helmet has a little headset. And in that headset, he's able to communicate with the, um, the offensive coordinator. Am I right so far? And so, kind of right, head coach, somebody he's communicating with. And that guy's able to tell him what plays he needs to make yet, next. And so he's able to communicate with that quarterback and, and converse with the, uh, the offensive coordinator, whoever it is that's, uh, that's calling the shots there. Now, if the helmet is off, then he doesn't, first of all, he doesn't have direction. He's, he's lost communication with, with headquarters over there. And second of all, he's lost his protection. He obviously is not going to be able to play in the game without his helmet on. But with the helmet on and with the helmet functioning properly, then he is both protected and he's in communication with the one who is best qualified to call the next play. Listen, Satan is going to attack your mind. He's going to attack your will. He's going to attack your emotions. 
And if it can have control over your mind, then you will become useless in this battle. But by putting on the helmet of salvation, two things begin to happen. First of all, you stay mentally connected to God. You're able to hear His voice. You're able to follow His direction. Because He knows best what action you need to take next. And so He's able to begin calling the shots. You stay mentally connected to God. And then, second of all, you protect your mind from Satan's attacks. Now let's go to the second point. And that is taking up the helmet of salvation. Talk about what it is. Let's talk about how to put it on. Now listen, having an actual helmet to put on every day might actually make things a little easier, but obviously that's not the case. If I ask you, where's your helmet of salvation? You know, where, where'd you put it? You know, some of you would be like with your Bibles. I don't know, put it somewhere, you know, try to find But we don't have a helmet of salvation, do we? There's not one that we can go physically pick up and put on. Uh, and so what, what does it mean? How do we put on or wear the helmet of salvation. I want to give you three things, and you can write this down if you want. If, if not, it's okay too. But three things, three ways that I believe we put on the helmet of salvation is by, first of all, uh, being consistently concentrated on God. I think that throughout the whole day, your focus needs to be on God and, and, and His kingdom and His commandments. You say, well, how do I do that? You know, I, I, I can't even watch TV and listen to what my wife's telling me at the same time. You know, how am I going to work if I'm focused on God and, and stuff like that? Just keep in mind, what I'm saying is, it's not necessarily that you have to be repeating God, God, God all day to be concentrated on God, but that your mind is always connected to Him in some way. That even while you're at work, as you're working, you're wanting to do the best that you can for God. You want to work with the best integrity that you can because you know He's watching. You know He's there. You know He's present. Just say a consciousness of God in your life. But I want you to notice that other word, consistently doing this. Consistently being concentrated on God. Now, here's what I've experienced in my life. I've experienced that I am consistent in being inconsistent. Anybody ever found that about themselves? So one day, like when I preach a really good message about the helmet of salvation, I am all about this. I'm like, yes, you got to be consistently concentrated. And, and I'm going to give you the other two wonderful points here in a second. And tomorrow I'll be like, yes, I am concentrated on God. By about Thursday, I've just kind of lost all control. My mind's not there. It's not where it should be. You know, or, or maybe I start out, but then I'm kind of in and out. The, the um, you know, communication's kind of fuzzy sometimes. Things like, anybody else get there? You, you, you want to, and you, your, your mind should be. You know where your mind should be, but then you find yourself, you're just not concentrating on God. And so the word there is to be consistent with this. And at any moment when you find yourself not concentrated on God, that you immediately... Talk to him, confess that, get your mind right back on him. So I wanted to emphasize that word consistently because I'm going to use it in the other two points as well. So first of all, if you're going to wear the helmet of salvation, if you're going to guard your mind, then there needs to be a consistent concentration on God. Now, the next thing is we need to be consistently examining our hearts and minds. That means that we need to put a filter somewhere in our minds, we need to take time each day where we are 
looking through our life, you know, what have I been thinking lately? What have I been saying lately? And things like that. And th- listen, this is not something necessarily that you have to do, but you need to ask God to help you do that. God, examine my heart. Lord, you know, I can't even keep track of what I thought five minutes ago, but you know, and you remember, Lord, if there's anything, examine me. If there's anything that you see that's out of the way that you do not approve of, please let me know that so that I could confess it and get out of my life immediately. Consistently examining your heart and mind. And then that leads me to the third one. And that is that we need to be... um, Consistently communicating with God, of course, I, I believe that, I, and when I say that, I mean through prayer. There needs to be a, a constant and consistent communication with God. Uh, over in, I think it's First Thessalonians, uh, towards the end, uh, chapter 5, uh, Paul gives out a series of different commands. There's just little short commands here and there. But one of those is, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Pray without ceasing. That means to keep a, an open line of communication with God. To be consistently communicating with Him. And so that means that at any given moment, at any time uh, of the day that I'm able to go to God in prayer, if, I, if a sinful thought comes in, I, I have an open line of communication. Lord, I'm sorry about that. Please forgive my thoughts, direct my thoughts towards, towards right things. You know, if a, if a decision comes up and, and I didn't know what to do, I've got an open line of communication where we're able to talk to God about that, commune with God about that. And, uh, and, and basically what I'm doing is I'm constantly communicating, constantly talking with God. Now, most of us are constantly communicating with somebody, right? And this is what I've noticed. That if I don't watch myself... I've got a constant line of communication open with anybody who has my phone number. And so I'll get Facebook updates. I'll get, you know, somebody said this, somebody said that on Facebook. I'll get text messages. I'll get phone calls. I'll get all, and you think of it, it's coming right here all day long. And if I allow myself, then I'll stay in constant communication with somebody, which also means that I get nothing done. Y'all realize that, right? Texting at work, not a good idea. If you're constantly doing that. And so, some way, it seems like today, we're in constant communication with somebody. So listen, if you're constantly going to be communicating with somebody, make that God. Consistently communicate with God. Say, I'm not going to answer this person every time that I get a text message or a Facebook update. But every time God decides he needs to say something to my heart, I'm going to be ready to listen And I'm going to be ready to respond with an answer. And so constant or consistent communication with God. And I believe that that is a practical way for us to wear the helmet of salvation. To be consistently concentrating, consistently examining ourselves, and consistently communicating with God. If you will, I want to turn to a psalm that I think really says this uh, plainer than I just have. But if you will, go over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And David says some amazing things here that we can use in our own prayer lives. We find in verse 1 that he begins by acknowledging that God has a perfect knowledge of him. Now look at verse 1 with me. He says, O Lord, you have searched me. That means to examine. 
You have examined me. You have searched me and known me. Okay? So he says, Lord, I know that you have done this. I acknowledge that you know everything about me. Now, he goes on to say in verse 2 that God knew when he got up and he knew when he laid down. He says that God knows every thought. He knows every word. If you Verses 2 down through verse 4, he knows every thought that goes through his mind, every word that's come out of his mouth. God knew everywhere that he went, and there was nowhere that he could hide from the presence of God. That's what we find in verses 7 through 12. Then he says in verses 13 through 18 that even from before David's birth, God knew the kind of man that he would be. God knows him perfectly. And so he ends the psalm this way. He says, God, you know everything about me. Therefore, down in verses 23 and 24, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What did David just give God permission to do? He gave God permission. He says, I know that you know me. So I want you to look back through my life. If there's anything, God, anything that offends you, anything that is out of order, any adjustments that need to be made, anything. Test my heart. Search my heart. Try my heart. Let me know, God. You let me know. And I'll make it right. I think that's what it means to wear the helmet of salvation. That we have given our minds under the ownership and the rulership of God. This is a truth found in the Bible. And I think the quicker that you and I both come to understand this and, and live by this, the better off we'll be. It's simply this. If you're a child of God, you have no ownership over your life anymore. You do not belong to you. You have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, therefore, we ought to glorify God with all that we have. You are not your own. Your mind, you do not have the right to think what you want to think. You don't have the right to say what you want to say or do what you want to do anymore. It doesn't belong to you. You can throw stuff at me if you want to, but I'm not the one who said it. It's just a truth that we're going to have to eventually recognize is that we belong to Him. Now, does that mean that God doesn't give us freedom to do anything? No, that doesn't mean that at all means as long as we are living under the rulership and ownership of God, as long as we're allowing our hearts and mind to be directed by Him, we have freedom to go and to do and, and, and whatever, as long as we're operating under that authority. But I think that's what it means when it says put on the helmet of salvation, is that we allow our thoughts and minds to come under the complete ownership and rulership of God. In essence, we say, Lord, this is your mind now, not mine. You bought it, and I willingly give it to you with complete authority. In other words, here's the keys of my mind, Lord. You drive. Give you complete control.
Listen, I've said it through this message, but Satan can and Satan will attack your mind. And I'm going to tell you that there are times when God will give him permission to do so. Know this, Satan can't do anything to you unless God does give him permission. And God will permit Satan to plant thoughts in your minds. That's part of testing your heart. Trying your heart. And if you allow him to, he'll gain full access to your thoughts, to your will, to your emotions. And he will have you going all over the place. He'll have your life in such chaos and such confusion, you you won't know which way is up. And you won't know how to get out. Anybody ever just woke up one day and said, how did I get here and how do I get back? You know why that happened? Because you just got taken for a ride. (laughs) But you gave him the access to do that. I believe what this verse is saying is that you don't have to do that. That by putting on the helmet of salvation, by giving God complete rule over your life, And saying, Lord, I want to be sanctified. I I want to be holy. I I want you to lead my thoughts. We give him full authority and access to our hearts and minds. I believe that that's when we put on the helmet of salvation. And he begins, first of all, to communicate with us. And then also to protect our hearts and minds from those attacks. Listen, you won't be able to guard those attacks on your own. That's why, if you remember, this helmet of salvation is not your armor. It's God's armor. You're putting on His armor, His helmet. And when you do that, you'll be able to guard against the attacks of Satan on your mind and and your emotions.